I'm excited about this week because we're kicking off this series, um, and this series is uh, basically all about things that keep you up at night, things that cause you anxiety and stress. And if you're like me, um, sleep is precious, and it's fleeting, and uh, it's probably been, if you're like me, a long time since you've had a full, uninterrupted, great night of sleep. Uh, and some of you are like, I don't get that, man. When I lay down to sleep, I am out. Good for you. Um, your stress might present itself in other ways. Uh, but for me, I toss and turn. Okay? And uh, I think one of the things to know is that you're not alone in that. See, the world that we live in is full of pressure and difficulty. And we've listed four things out there that we're going to cover. You know, we start with marriage, and, and this is not just for those of you that are, are in the middle of a marriage now. This is for some of you that are, that are gearing up towards marriage. This is for some of you uh, where marriage might be on the horizon. Listen, if you're here today and you're, you're a, a young man who is, is not married but thinks you may be at one point in time, or a young woman who's here and thinks you might desire to be married at some point in time, you need to dig in here and, and hear what I'm saying, Okay. If you're in a marriage that's, that's a little bit rocky right now, you need to dig in here too. And if you are um, done with marriage, uh, perhaps you're, you're widowed here today, or um, you've had a divorce and you vowed that you're not doing it again. Uh, one, um, we'll see what tomorrow brings. But two, there's something here for you too. Because there's something here for the body of Christ. There's something in God's word that, that brings us hope. And there's something that we can understand. And if you're here today and you honestly don't have a struggle with this, then guess what? God has given you a role to play then. Because there are brothers and sisters in Christ who do struggle with this. And if you honestly don't have a struggle here, then there is something that you have that you can pour in uh, to, to your, your church family in places where they're trying to navigate difficulty. Okay, and so we're going to deal a little bit with, with marriage today, and uh, next week we talk, it says kids on your slide, but we're actually talking the whole family, because our kids have stress of their own, and we're going to deal with that, and, and as parents of young kids, we have stress and anxiety and things that, that cause us to lose sleep, and, and, and um, many of you have children that are adults that are now out of your house, and that causes you stress and things that you lose sleep over. Uh, and many of you have parents that you're um, in charge of, that you take care of. And I know that can cause you stress and anxiety. And so we're going to deal with all of those things and what God has to say. We're going to deal with work and money and all of those things, because all of those things are things that, that start to dig in. And for a lot of us, it's not just one of those, but it's all of them. And we take them all and we kind of roll them up together. And it's this big ball of anxiety. And we wonder, is there anything uh, that God has to say? Or is there anything he can do about that? And I want to tell you this. There is hope. There's hope for all of this. And that hope is found in the Word of God. And, and God, because He's good and because He's loving and because He's gracious, He's given us the answer to everything that we need to know in His Word. Now, please hear what I'm not saying. There is no part of me that's saying this is easy to do. It's not easy to do. But when God gives you something, it may not be easy to do, but it does provide you a path to make things work the way that he has designed them to work. So there's hope. 
Okay, and uh, you'll notice, and I'm going to ask you to do something with this later. I gave you this card on your way in. You got this card on the front. It says, say yes to God's plan for your marriage. Even if you're not married, you need to hold on to this. Uh, and you'll use this. We're going to do something with it before we're done. But on the back then, you'll notice that there's some resources. There's some resources uh, that the church provides when it comes to marriage. So if there's things, then you're, we're sitting here and we're talking and you're like, yeah, that sounds great, but I need more. Great. Dig into some of those resources. There's a lot of things on right now. We've got a summer small group that will deal specifically with marriage. Uh, there, there are um, Bible apps and things you can download that have uh, studies on marriage. And so take a look at those resources. And then always talk to some of the staff. Talk to Vince, talk to myself, talk to Malia, and we can dig in more. Actually, talk to Malia or I. Vince isn't even married yet. So you don't want to come to Vince for marriage stuff. Sorry, Vince. Okay, but we're going to get into this a little bit uh, and, and we'll see what God has for us because here's the reality. The reality is that marriage is awesome and that marriage is difficult. Here's the deal. Good statistical research will tell us that two out of three married couples are unhappy in their marriage. I mean, I, I, want, I want you to let that, that weigh on you there for a little bit. That two out of three, two-thirds, that means the odds of a happy marriage are against you before you even get started having this conversation. Two out of three people will say their marriage is not fulfilling, or at least it's not what they hoped that it would be. Something um, isn't working. So here's what I want you to do. If you're married... And, no, this is going to backfire. <laughs> there was no way that was going to work well. You know what? We're going to do it anyway. If you're happily married, just high-five your wife. High-five your husband. Even if you're not, fake it for now, because it just got awkward. <laughs> Sometimes I really need to think through my notes before we get into them. Sorry about that. Mulligan, we're moving on. But yeah, okay, because here's the thing. Two out of three couples will say, we're not satisfied in our marriage. But part of the reason that two out of three couples aren't satisfied in their marriage is simply because they've got the wrong expectations of marriage. Or because they've not learned how to navigate it correctly. Or because they went into marriage believing that it would be some fairy book, story tale kind of a thing. And we need to debunk that as the church. So there's a couple things I need you to know as we start to have this conversation. Here it is. Listen careful. One. Marriage is not supposed to be easy. You've probably heard the phrase before, and I think it's exceptionally true, that God intends your marriage not necessarily to make you happy, but to help make you holy. God, if you are married, or if you're not, and you're planning marriage, understand this going in. God wants to use your marriage to sharpen you. To be sharpened requires friction. Friction means that sometimes it's not working exactly the way that it should. 
But God, through friction in your marriage, will sharpen you through your marriage and will start to move you to holiness. And that's just something you need to understand. God is less interested in your happiness than he is your holiness. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to be happy. Get this. God is a good, good father, and he desires your marriage, yes, to make you holy, and yes, to represent him and his relationship with the church, but he also desires your marriage to bring you ridiculous joy. So don't sit there and think, well, if God wants me to be more holy than he wants me to be happy, that my marriage must suck then. No, 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 no. God wants your marriage to bring you incredible, ridiculous joy. That's his heart's desire for you is that your marriage would bring you joy. Why? Because that's what he wants for your life, period. God wants joy in your life. God wants your life to be something that just builds you up and that encourages you and moves you forward. And so it's just something that you need to understand is that that God is not out to get you. And if you made a mistake in marriage or if things are harder than you need them to be, it's not gonna be that way forever. It doesn't have to be. But God desires to make your marriage something that brings you great joy. And, and if you've known me for any length of time, uh, you know that Carrie and I have been at both ends of that spectrum. We've had moments where our marriage has been uh, full of friction, where it's just been difficult, where we were, um, we were one of those two out of three couples that would have said, man, this, this is not what we signed up for. This is hard. It's not working. It's not right. There are nights I lost sleep. A lot of nights I lost sleep over our marriage. There were times when I would lay there tossing and turning and she would be sleeping and I would be like, man, how is she sleeping? And so then I would toss and turn harder because if I was losing sleep over our marriage, so was she. Part of the problem might have been my attitude. (laughs) You're picking up on that. I mean, we've known those moments, and she's had those same moments. I'm sure you can ask her about them. We've had those moments, but you know what? We've also known, uh, I mean, without sounding cheesy, we've known the sweetness of of not just being um, lovers in marriage, but being friends in marriage and having it be what it was designed to be. So I want you to know this this can be so good uh, if we understand God's design. And so a couple things that that we're going to get into here. But I want to tell you before we get into scripture that I think the key for us, and I hope for you, is this simple thing. And Peter talks about it when he's talking to men, but it's for both men and women. uh, The call to live with one another in an understanding way. That's his desire for you and your spouse, is that you live together in an understanding way. Okay? Uh, And some of you uh, happen to be in this small group right now, so you're a well, well... aware of this, but uh, there's, a, there's a, a book, Love and Respect by Emerson Egrich. Uh, this is the marriage small group that's happening now, and it's the marriage small group that'll be happening again in the summer. And so if some of this resonates with you, I would encourage you to plug in here uh, and, and start to grow in your marriage, but, but that's specifically going to be happening. But the idea is that all of us come to marriage differently. How many of you are well aware of the fact that men and women are different. Okay. If you didn't know, and honestly, in the world we live in today, if this is the first time we've talked, in the world we live in today, you maybe have been led to believe that there's not a significant difference between men and women. There's some physiological differences, but that's it. We physically look different, but otherwise we are the same. 
I'm here to tell you that that's not true. Biblically speaking, men and women are different. It's not hard to figure out. Think about kids. Travis, when he was little, all he wanted to do was wear superhero costumes. We have pictures of him dying Easter eggs as Spider-Man. For about a year straight, whenever we were home, he wore a Buzz Lightyear costume. Once he stood at the top of the stairs and he yelled to infinity and beyond and he had his wings on and he dove down the stairs. He was three. It didn't end well. I'm not sure if he cried more because he broke the collarbone or because he didn't fly. Aubrey, from the beginning, she wanted to play dress up too, but she wanted to play Disney princess dress up. And we owned every Barbie movie that ever was made. In fact, I knew I'd been watching too many Barbie movies when I was in the shower singing The Princess and the Pauper. (laughs) It's like, I'm out. I'm done. But here's the thing. Men and women are different. God creates it that way. If you look back in Genesis, in Genesis, God creates man. Look, he he creates everything, and, and, and he says he creates the man, and he looks at the man, and he says, oh, It's not good for him to be alone. See, everything else in creation is perfect. But he looks at the man and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he says uh, he's going to do something about it. And and he brings all the animals in front of, of Adam. And he says, Adam, here's all the animals. You're lonely. You're missing something. And he brings all the animals in, in front of, of Adam, and Adam starts to name them. But you know, Adam notices something, that all of the animals that walk in front of him, they come in pairs. And he names them, and, 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 and they all have a partner. And Adam knows he doesn't have a partner. And, and God says, the word tells us that, that after he's naming, not a suitable helper was found for him. So God causes him to fall into a deep sleep. And in that deep sleep, God removes part of him, and he takes part of him, takes the rib. And, and I know some of us were like, well, that's just mythological stuff. No, 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 it's not mythological stuff. This is biblical fact. God takes part of Adam, and out of Adam, he creates his other half. See, it's why it's so critical that, that the woman comes out of Adam. He formed the man out of dust. Man, we are dirty, gross people. He forms us out of dust. dust. He breathes life into us, and we are man. Okay, and, and that's, that's how we are. But when God says, no, 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 man, he needs something. He's incomplete. You've you got to get this. You can't miss this. The, this is so important and so critical. What he does is he causes the man to fall into this deep sleep, and he removes a rib from him. Rib, whatever. He, he, he takes part of him, and he creates woman out of man. Not because, oh, well, men came first, they're better, anything. No, I'm not talking about anything like that. What, I, what I'm saying is, is because they go together. They're part of each other. When, when Adam sees her, he's like, yes, that's her. That's the woman for me. At last, she is bone of my bone. She is flesh of my flesh. She completes me. Understand very clearly what God did not make Adam when he said it is not good for, God to, for man to be alone. It's not right for him to be alone. Like every other creature, he needs a partner. He doesn't make him a buddy. 
He doesn't make him another dude that can go watch sports with him or can go shoot stuff or go golf. Or, I mean, I'm not saying you can go shoot stuff, ladies. You can go play golf. You can do whatever you want. But he doesn't create a buddy for him who is exactly the same as him. He doesn't say, man, Adam needs a twin brother. What he does is he says, Adam needs someone to complete him. And so he makes woman out of man, and the two of them together become one flesh, and, and they meet God's design. And so the thing that you have to understand here, the thing that's so critical for you to get here, is that by design, men and women are created differently. Now, here's the thing to get uh, just for today. We're actually going to have a series, a very short two-week series that will deal with biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. But for right now, here's what I want you to know, okay? The things that drive you most crazy about your spouse or the opposite sex are very likely the very things that God put in them to complete you. I'll give you this just easy example from my life with my bride. Carrie is a little hypersensitive. She is. She's a little bit more sensitive than I would like. I say things all the time, and she gets a little bit upset at what I said, and I have no idea. I'll be like, man, what did I do? In fact, we've had this legitimate conversation before. I've said, look, if you can take it this way, and it makes me out to not be a jerk— or you could take it this way and it makes me out to be a jerk, always take it this way. <laughs> because I often say things that get... Why? Because she's a little extra sensitive. But you know what? Instead of being annoyed by that, you know what I need to do? I need to recognize that that sensitivity that God hardwired into her femininity, that that is there because it completes me. Because you know what? When my kids are sick at night, when my kids are sick at night... They're not calling me. They're not wanting to crawl up on my lap. They're not wanting me to comfort them because I don't have that. I don't have that sensitivity. Try as I might, and I think I'm a pretty sensitive guy, but try as I might, I don't have what their mom has. It's just something that, that God intends to make us better together. Causes friction because we're different, okay? And so we have to understand that going in. And once we understand that, it helps us to live with one another in an understanding way. Uh, Egrich, in, in his Love and Respect book, will say that it's like uh, we need to understand that be, by nature, by design, okay, that women are seeing things through pink glasses with pink lenses, and they're hearing things through pink hearing aids, that they're just hardwired to hear and see things in a way that's more feminine. Men, we tend to see things through blue hearing or blue sunglasses and, and hear things through blue hearing aids because we're hardwired to think and, and reason and see and hear things through a more masculine way. It's part of God's good design. And we understand it so that we can live with each other in an understanding way. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5. It's exactly what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5 when he says, so again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so here's the deal here. Paul actually gives us different instructions because we're wired differently. So now you have to track this. Because of creation and because we are two separate 
beings. Men and women are separate, but they're intended to complete one another. And the way that they complete each other is that they're different. So you can understand, if you had two of the same, they can't complete each other. Because they're the same, and there's still, there's two of them, but they're still missing something. Okay? So it's the differences that make us better. But because of the differences, God says we each need something different. So again, this is Paul. He's repeating himself here. He said this before. He says, so again, I say, each man must love his wife. Agape love. That is unconditional loyalty to your wife. Men, hear me well. I don't need to, to, to rail on you or harp on you or, or, or beat a dead horse, but I, but I need you to understand this. For you to love your wife means that you do not love any other woman. For you to love your wife means that you don't play like you love any other women. For you to love your wife well, agape love your wife with a loyal, committed kind of love, you can't watch other women. You don't want to look twice at them. You don't want them on your computer screen. There is nothing about you engaging in emotional, mental, visual adultery that loves your wife well. Don't do it. Men, love your wife. Agape love. Committed love. Love that isn't, check this, get this, understand this, love that isn't earned. Men, this is a call for you to love your wife even when she is being unlovable. And the best wives in the room, the best girlfriends in the room, the best women in the room will at times be unlovable because we're human and we're broken. And when your wife, when your girlfriend, when your fiance, when, when that person is being unlovable, God says, here's the command, love her anyway. And not love her begrudgingly, but love her with a committed, passionate, contractual, agape kind of love. Now I say contractual and you're like, oh man, you just ruined it. Like when I say committed and passionate, you're like, yes. And, and you want me to take out the word though contractual and you want me to put in the word romantic. Because that's the way it is when I watch all those cool movies. Guess what was on the other day? You've got mail. Don't lie. Anybody my age at least and older, how many times have you seen You've Got Mail? Once? Raise your hand if you've seen it once. Raise your hand if you've seen it like twice. Raise your hand if you've seen it like four or five times. Yeah, don't lie. Because there's something about that movie, right? It's ooey gooey. I know. I, I'm like, I mean, sports. I'm not embarrassed. There's something about, I'm a little bit embarrassed. There's something about it, though, that draws you in. You know why? Because it's romantic. And we have this idea from, but you know what's great about that movie that we miss? Is both of them are in committed relationships when they decide they love each other better. And they both leave their committed other so that they could come together. And we look at that and we're like, oh, that's so great. Oh, that's garbage. This is the way that it works, though. See, we want to take out contractual and committed, and we want to put in romantic. But that's not God's design. God says when you enter into this covenant commitment, yes, it'll be romantic. Yes, it'll be passionate. Yes, but at times, 
it will be contractual. I'm embarrassed and proud to tell you this at the same time, that Carrie and I have had those moments where the reason we are married is because we were contractually obligated under God to be married. That's embarrassing because our marriage should not have been that hard. We just were stupid. I was stupid. But I'm proud to tell you that because it means we were obedient to God even when it got difficult. And because I know it gets so much better. That's the love we're talking about. Husbands, love your wives as much as you love yourself. Wife must respect her husband. See, and we're all good on love. We get this love thing. Women, you guys rock love, by the way. That's part of your, your you-ness, right? When God creates men and then he says, oh, it's not good enough. He needs a partner. He needs completion. And he creates women. Women, you are more hardwired to love well like this. That is in your nature. But there's something that men need that, that you lack a little bit. And this is the idea that the wife must respect her husband, honor her husband. That's harder because especially again in our culture, that means this. Oh, this one stings a little bit, but listen, that means that you must respect your husband even when he's not being respectable. See, we, we get this, this, again, this Hollywood ideal that says we love people when they deserve to be loved and we respect people when they deserve to be respected and that's when, when that happens, we have this great relationship and as soon as that wavers, we call it good and we walk away, but God says, no, 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 no. Men, love your wives even when they're not being lovable. Women, respect your husbands even when they're not being respectable and when you do that, your relationship will flourish the way that God has intended it, you'll be able to get a good night's sleep. It's not easy, but it'll work the way that God intended it to work, okay? So here, here's this, understand this. Uh, this is just recapping for your, your benefit here, something you need to know. A woman's heart cries for love while the man's heart cries for respect, okay? Ladies, your significant other loves to know that you love him. He likes to know that you love him. More important, he needs to know that you respect who he is as a man. That you appreciate him. That you recognize his work. That you respect what he is and what he tries to do. Because that's the language he speaks. That's how God wired him to speak. You need to understand that. In fact, there, there's good research that tells us, uh, it was at 80, no, 74% of men. They asked a bunch of men, hey, here's your two bad choices and we want you to pick one. You gotta love that game, right? Here's two awful choices. You pick the, the one that appeals most to you. Would you rather be alone and unloved in the world or would you rather be seen as incompetent and not respectable? Well, guess which one men chose? 74% of men chose that they would much rather be alone and unloved. See, for some of you ladies, that's unfathomable. Why would you want to be alone and unloved? No, they'd rather be alone and unloved than have people think that they're not good at anything and that they're not respectable. Same group of men, they asked, hey, when you get in a fight with your wife, even the best relationships, you have fights and you have problems. When you get in a fight with your significant other, are you more likely to feel like they don't love you or like they don't respect you? Women, overwhelmingly, when, when we get in a fight, when you get in a fight with your spouse, you feel like, oh, he doesn't love me. He's mad at me. He doesn't love me. Men, overwhelmingly, 81.5% of men said, I feel like she doesn't respect who I am as a man. And it eats them up. This is a big deal. 
We're hardwired differently. And the reason we're harping on that for men simply is, is simply because we don't normally think this way. We normally think marriage, love, when we love each other, it works. It does, but, but part of the way that you love us as men is that you demonstrate respect for who we are. And some of you, I've had this conversation with some of you, you're like, you know what, no, 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 no. Respect is earned. Love, I can love freely, but respect is earned. And I'm going to say no. That would be like men saying to you, you know what, I'm not going to love you until you've earned it. It doesn't work. And a lot of times when people are losing sleep, it's not because we're bad people. We're good-willed people. We love each other. We want good for each other. I want good for you. You want good for me. And we have this, but it, there's a point where the friction comes because we just aren't giving each other what we need most. Okay, and so we have to be really careful about that. We're going to skip ahead here a couple of things, and we're going to get to 1 Peter. Okay, so if you've got your Bible open, you can uh, flip to 1 Peter 3. We're going to take a look at some verses there, but, but I want you to understand this truth as we get in to 1 Peter. This whole chunk in 1 Peter 3, um, God is talking about how your behavior impacts those that you have influence over. Now, if you are married, you have influence over, okay, your family. Most importantly, you have influence over your spouse. If you're here and you're engaged, you have influence over. If, if you're here and you've got kids or grandkids that are involved, they're married, or you've got relatives, uh, nephews, nieces that are, that are married or that are looking at marriage, and you've got best friends or good friends that are, that are married or looking to get married, then here, here's something you have to understand. You've got, a, you've got a part to play here too, okay? Because the way that we influence those around us the people that we're most close to, the way that we influence them, we can either move them into godly relationships or, honestly, we can move them away from godly relationships. So let me ask you this. Um, when, uh, when you're at work and your coworker, your girlfriend, comes up and she wants to complain about something her husband did, not that that ever happens. I know you guys don't talk about that stuff when you're at work. Like you go out for coffee, you never talk about how frustrating your husbands are. But what, assuming it did happen, when that happens, and, and somebody, somebody complains to you about their husband, do you listen? Do you add on? Do you be part of that conversation? Do you dig into it? Do you get incredulous with him? Oh, I can't believe that. That's ridiculous. Or do you encourage and remind and admonish, yeah, I know it's hard, but you know what? God calls you to respect him no matter what. How have you shown him respect lately? How have you tried to help by pouring into him? And, and there's this thing that we have to understand that we've all got a role to play here. That's the flip side too. You know, men, uh, when somebody comes and complains uh, about their wife to you, oh, man, I feel like she's just always nagging. I feel like she, she just won't give me a break. She's always just wanting and, and, and talking. I walk home at the end of the day and I sit down and I can't even relax for one second before she's yapping at me about everything that happened. And all I want to do is sit and relax. And she should just be able to understand that all I want to do is relax and all of the Men, how many of you, when, when, when your buddy is telling you that, are you able to sit down and say, yeah, yeah, I get it. I know it's hard, but here's the deal. Your wife's heart is just begging to be loved. And I know it's hard, but you just got to lean in and you just got to give her some time and attention because her heart is just begging for love. Her heart is begging for connection. See, we don't do that though. 
we either ignore it and we're like, yeah, whatever, get over it. Or, or, we, or we pile on and we're like, yeah, I can't believe it. My wife does the same thing that drives me nuts. But we don't give each other encouragement to do it right. But Peter, in this whole section, he's talking about how um, your love demonstrates your behavior, your attitude towards other people demonstrates how God feels about them. And so you have the opportunity to move them along rightly if you do it right. And so there's something that you need to understand. If you're married here, listen, God loves your spouse like crazy. God loves your spouse like crazy. And his desire is to use you to show them how much. That's what he wants to do. I remember, um, the Bible's going to fall apart here. Uh, the, the reason this is so important to me, the reason I harp on this a little bit, this, this chunk in First Peter, and I think I've told you this before, maybe a, a time or two ago, uh, when we've talked about marriage, but I got a buddy, Charles Hobbin. Charles is one of my dear best friends, um, and, and Charles has told me hard things as an accountability partner along the way in my life. And there were times when, when I would complain about Carrie, and Charles would say, yeah, but that's on you. Love your wife. Love her well. And I remember us having this conversation once. Sitting at Village Inn, cross-country omelet, extra-done hash browns, rye toast, and a lot of coffee. Because that's what I, I, it's not like it was that memorable. I got that every time. <laughs> Creature of habit, okay? Um, and so I'm eating my breakfast, and we're talking. We're having this accountability conversation. And he says to me at this point in time, he's like, you know, this is one of those times, Matt, Stop. How much does God love your wife? I said, well, that's easy. God loves my wife like crazy. God loves my wife just, I mean, more than I could ever hope to. God loves her just this ridiculous amount. Of course God loves her that much. And, And I remember him saying to me, okay, well, Matt, one of the ways that God wants to demonstrate how much he loves Carrie is by giving her you. So the way you're treating your wife is God... I'm sorry, are you helping God love Carrie or are you hurting? And and I had to be honest that I wasn't always helping. I wasn't always showing Carrie how much God loved her through my behavior. But God specifically gave me the task of loving her so well that it became clear to her how much God loved her. That's part of this relationship. That's the, the metaphor that he uses when he says, you know what, you are this picture. You love your wife the way Christ loves the church, to completeness, to fullness. If you're not married here and you're thinking about getting married, whether you're engaged and it's just down the road a a week from now or whether um, it's something that that you're thinking about, you don't even have a guy or a girl picked out, it's just you know someday you want to be married, listen to me. You must marry somebody that understands this. I mean, for my kids, I, I need them to know this. You need to marry somebody that understands that God uses them to demonstrate love to you. If they can't figure that out, then this is not going to end well. That's the conversation I had with Charles. Is that's the way this works. And so we, we get in here. It's in that context that we jump into 1 Peter 3. The first two verses in chapter 3 says, Wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Don't get hung up on the word authority. We always get hung up on the word authority. Okay? And, and we don't want to hear anything else because we're like, well, why should he get to have authority over me? No, 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 stop. Okay? We'll deal with that text another time. If you want to have that conversation, let's have the conversation. But for now, simply understand this. Okay? God is asking you to, to demonstrate respect and commitment 
to your husband. Okay, wives must accept the authority of your husband, even if some refuse to obey the good news. You may have spouses here that aren't Christians, but your behavior is supposed to call them. So even if, okay, even if they're not, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They'll be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Because the way that you treat each other in marriage matters. God says, even if they're not respectable, you honor and respect them. Why? Because then by the way that you do it, you win them over. Because the way that you treat them matters. Men, he says this to us in, in 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. Don't. Don't stop there. Like, oh, I am not weaker. Stop. Just, okay. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. Okay? And, and so we always get hung up on weaker. Don't get hung up on weaker. Here's what I want you to think of with weaker. Think of value. Think of vulnerability. Think of preciousness. Think about dishes. I always talk about dishes with this. In my house, when you, when you want to get out a bowl to eat cereal, we have these, uh, we don't, ha who has china? My parents always had china, right? But you could never use the china unless certain people were coming to the house because it was too vulnerable. And the great thing about china night was the night I never had to do dishes, because I was not to be trusted washing and drying the china. But at my house, guess what we have? We have these plastic bowls. You can throw that thing on the ground and it's not breaking. Think value and vulnerability. When, when God says the, the weaker gender, he's not talking about emotional strength. He's not talking about intelligence. He's not talking about position. What he's talking about is this. By the way that he designed you, Women, you are more vulnerable. You already heard me talk about it with Carrie. When my kids are upset, when my kids are hurt, when my kids have things, who do they go to? They go to her because she is so emotional and so empathetic that she just connects with them right off the bat. It's why now, there are plenty of men elementary teachers, but can we agree that there are a whole lot more women that are wired to teach elementary age kids? I worked in an elementary school. There were always three other men in the elementary schools that I worked in. Custodian, gym teacher, most of the time the principal. I, I worked with plenty of, of, of female principals too, but if, if there were other men in the school, they were in those three roles. Very rarely were there other men teachers in the buildings that I worked at. Okay, Why? Because for the most part, the people that are wired to deal day in, day out with eight-year-olds to be empathetic and nurturing and patient and loving and kind and firm when they have, is women, because God has wired them to be that way. Now, again, I mean, it's not a hard festival. I worked in an elementary school for a lot of years. So, I mean, I, I'm not saying it has to be that way, but that's typically the way it is. But that thing that God puts in women to make them sensitive and emotional and more hardwired, man, that is the thing that will crush their spirit with a harsh word. When you are harsh, Instead of gentle, 
When you are, when you are um, a stone wall instead of available, those are the things that will crush their spirit. God knows this. That's why he says, look, she's weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner. So treat her with understanding because she has such value. But when you are harsh and when you are firm and you are hard with her, man, that does something to her that it doesn't do to you. Man, you get that, right? Like, like things you say to your buddies, you can't say to your spouse because they just shrug it off and it's no big deal. But, but for our spouses, man, it hurts and it lingers and, and, it, and it wounds. And so God says, live with understanding in this way. And that way your prayers won't be hindered. And that's the great thing that you need to understand there. Uh, and it's for men and women. It's, it's when you have difficulty with your spouse and you refuse to move towards your spouse, and you refuse to give towards your spouse, you know what it does? It hinders your relationship with the God of the universe. God says, this is what your marriage is so important because it's two together. You're supposed to be complete together. But when there's friction together, and when you refuse to budge, and when you refuse to love well, and you refuse to respect well, and you refuse to be one together, God says, your relationship with me is going to be hindered. Your prayers are going to be hindered. Our connection is going to be hindered because this is so important. And God says, you got, you got to understand that. But when we can live to, with each other understanding way, man, there's hope for that. And so here's what I want you to do. I gave you a card. I want you to take out your card. Uh, if you didn't have one, if you didn't get one, I apologize. We'll actually have one of these each week this series, um, each week through this series. But, but uh, this, is, this is something here I just want you to fill out. Okay, if you don't want to fill it out now because your spouse or your significant other is sitting next to you, you don't have to. But even if you're not married, I want you to fill this out. Okay, because here's the thing. You might have these hopes for a future marriage. And so, so here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to say yes to God's plan for your marriage. And for, for some of you, it means you need to start with what are you yearning for? What do you want it to be? What is your heart longing for in your marriage? Where are you going? What is it you want to... God has offered such hope in marriage. What are you wanting to grow into? This is what we need to identify. The second thing is there, man, what are you encouraged by? There are things in your marriage that should encourage you. There are things in your dating life that should encourage you. There are things in your single life that should encourage you. It should encourage you to know if you are single and you want to be married, it should encourage you to know that God has wired an other for you. If you are not desiring to be married in the future, it should encourage you to know that God himself is your groom, is, your, is the one for you. But what do you yearn for? And, and, and what, what do you hope for? Um, and then the last one is surrender. If we're going to make it work, what are you willing to surrender? Maybe it's pride, and, and, and maybe it's ego, and maybe it's the desire to go first, or maybe it's um, the work spouse that you have that you know you shouldn't have, and the guy that you flirt with at work because he really understands you, or the woman um, that you can really just talk to at the office. Maybe, maybe you got to get, you just need to, well, not maybe, you definitely need to get rid of those things, but maybe that's what you need to surrender. Maybe it's just your own desire to say, you know what, I know it's hard, but I'm all in, whatever it is. And, and here's what I'll tell you. As we prepare to come to communion and close the service, I just want you to know this. Nobody claimed it would be easy, but it can be awesome. God wants your marriage to work for you. And all of the lies that will tell you that it can't work, man, those are of the enemy. But Christ came 
to redeem relationships. We're going to celebrate communion. First and foremost, he redeems our relationship with the God of the universe. Through this death on the cross, through his sacrifice, he redeems this with God so that when we come to the cross and when we accept Jesus, we are right with God. But it's not ending there. He also redeems our other relationships as well. And you might be afraid, and maybe it won't work, and maybe you're stuck, and maybe you're not sure, but that is a lie of the enemy that wants you to believe that there is no hope for you. But listen to me. Our God is a God of hope. And so when we lean in and trust, we move forward. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and we trust you, and we thank you. We thank you that you are a God that died for us. We thank you that you are a God who poured out his blood for us so that our sins could be pinned to you on the cross, that through your suffering we might be found righteous, and that through your blood that we've entered into this new covenant where we are right with the God of the universe, and where all of our relationships have the opportunity to be redeemed when we trust you, and when we follow you, and when we take your word seriously. And Father, I pray that you keep the enemy at bay, the enemy who who keeps us bound in doubt, in judgment, in fear. I, I pray that you'll erase the invisible ledgers that we like to keep, And that you'll help us be bold in in approaching our spouse. Help us to love and respect unconditionally, knowing that even if they're not there yet, that our obedience matters and that it changes things. And God, again, keep the enemy at bay. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross and we thank you for new life. We love you and we praise you. Amen.